folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple months, you've heard all about the Game Time app and how it can save you some serious cash on last minute tickets to sports, concerts, and all type of shows. The NFL playoffs are here, and it is not too late to get your tickets to go see a wild card game this weekend in New England or Houston, in Philadelphia or New Orleans. Game Time will have you covered, and it's only two taps to buy your tickets. Well, now Game Time is also going to hook you up for this holiday season with a $10 credit. Here's what to do download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store, click on the My Ticket section of the app, create an account, and then under the billing section, redeem the code The Athletic. Once again, that's The Athletic, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code, and it expires. At at midnight on December 31st, 2019. So make sure you make those moves quick and score last minute tickets. Hello and welcome to a New Year's Eve edition of the NFL Power Rankings podcast. I'm Lindsay Jones, NFL reporter for The Athletic. I'm Amy Pervapiano, NFL editor for The Athletic. Well, Amy, we made it. We, we made it through the, the, the regular season is over. Um, it was pretty awesome. We now have uh, all the, the, the playoff seeds. They're set. We went into week 17 knowing who most of the playoff teams were going to be, but not really knowing how any of this was going to shake out. And week 17 did not disappoint, especially the early slate of games. Um, it was really wild because, you know, you kind of looked at it and you thought, Ugh, I don't know. I don't know if any of these games are going to be competitive. And then there was some very... Um, um, very dramatic stuff that happened all the way from the Lions almost beating the Packers, although the Packers ended up kicking a game-winning field goal to clinch the number two seed. Um, and then we had the Patriots losing at home to the Dolphins at the same time as the Chiefs were winning at home against the Chargers, which means that the Chiefs not the Patriots, are the number two seed in AFC and get the bye week. So that means the Patriots are playing in the wild card round for the first time since 2009. And you've probably heard this stat um, over the last couple of days, but in all of these Super Bowls that the Patriots have won, all six titles in the Belichick-Brady era, they have never won a Super Bowl as a wildcard team. They have always taken the path of getting a bye week as the number one or the two seed and using that to get to the Super Bowl. Last time they were in the wild card in 2009, they lost, it, um, they lost that game at home to the Ravens. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a tough, uh, tough road now or a tougher road now for the Patriots who play the Titans um, this weekend. And that's a really, really tough matchup, I think, for um, for New England. But we're going to get into all the wildcard matchups uh, later this week on our bonus episode. So today we really want to focus on um, the final power rankings of 2019 and the regular season and look back to our preseason rankings from July to see which teams were better than expected and which teams really cratered. Yeah, so obviously we've got plenty to get into here. And just as always, quick disclaimer, please send your comments, especially about the gifts. It makes our day to read them. This is our last power rankings uh, of the, obviously, of the 2019 season, of 2019, of the decade. Um, so, you know, leave us some comments and we read them. We promise that we do read um, all the comments. And you can also tweet us at The Athletic NFL. And make sure to, to subscribe to this podcast. And you can use the link, theathletic.com slash NFL Power Rankings to get 40% off. And you'll get those bonus episodes that we kind of mentioned above. You'll get those as well once you subscribe. So let's get into this. Let's start today with our bottom five, where there are some coaching changes uh, impacting uh, more than one of these teams in our bottom five. Top five, bottom five. 
And number 28, we have the Carolina Panthers. This is actually their first appearance in the bottom five, despite the fact that they have not won a game since November 3rd. Their preseason ranking uh, was 18, and their highest ranking of the season was 12. Number 29, we have the New York Giants. We had them at 29 in the preseason, and they got as high as 24 this year, so not very high. Number 30, the Washington Redskins. Uh, We had them ranked in the preseason at 26, and they only got up to 23 this year. Number 31, the Detroit Lions, uh, their preseason ranking was 27, but their highest ranking of the year was actually 13. So they were, we actually did believe in them for a short while and it went very wrong as it tends to do with the Detroit Lions. They are now at 31 and number 32, the Cincinnati Bengals, their preseason ranking was 30 uh, and their highest ranking of the year was 25. So all of these teams, with the exception of the Lions, who flirted with success for a brief period of time. Uh, have stayed toward the bottom for most of the season. So the Panthers, Giants, and Redskins have all moved on from their head coaches or their interim coaches this season. And the Redskins have already filled their opening uh, with former Panthers coach Ron Rivera, while also in perhaps even bigger news, they fired Bruce Allen. They have parted ways completely with Bruce Allen. He is gone from all football operations from from the franchise he's he's no longer uh part of the franchise in any capacity Lindsay, what are your thoughts on this hire and this piece of firing news as well yeah i mean i think the the latter part bruce allen is um is really important and i honestly don't think ron rivera probably would have taken the job with the prior structure hierarchy in place of kind of Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen really running football operations. It just wasn't going to work. It clearly hasn't been working. And, you know, I think I, I was talking to a lot of people when I was at the I was at the Niners Seahawks game on Sunday night and was talking to a lot of people at that game because that was when the momentum was really building that Ron Rivera was going to take this job, that this was not him using leverage to try to get another job, that he was very serious about actually going to Washington. And, you know, I think you know, at first it was going, okay, is is Paula or is um Bruce Allen gonna get reassigned? Is he gonna be somewhere else in the building? And, you know, I, it, that wasn't gonna work. I don't I didn't think. You know, I think they really need to um clean house there. They need a lot of changes to their personnel department. They need a lot of changes to their football operations staff. Um, some of those changes have already been in progress. They've parted ways with their longtime athletic trainer, which if you've been following any of the medical stuff that's gone on with the Redskins over the last couple of years, most notably Trent Williams, um, this is not a surprise. So, you know, I I was a little worried for Ron Rivera at first saying like, why Ron? Why Ron? Like there's a lot of job, job openings right now. Why is this the one you want? But if they're if they're going to meet his demands and do the things that he thinks that they need to do to change the culture there and to become a winning organization, then, you know, maybe maybe it'll work because I think there's talent there. You know, I think there's defensive talent, especially. I really like the idea of what Ron Rivera is going to be able to do with that defense. Um, they've got some, you know, some good young talent. I like a lot of their pieces of their secondary, although Josh Norman doesn't seem too happy to be there and probably isn't going to be there for very much longer. But, you know, and then they have their rookie quarterback who, you know, he had some rookie struggles this year. But, you know, I think they can win there. And it's also not like they're coming into a division that has these juggernauts in them right now. I mean, I think the NFC East is winnable. Um, I just hope that uh, Dan Snyder is going to let Ron Rivera do his job. And I'm very curious to see what the rest of the personnel department looks like, who is going to be in charge of the roster, who's going, what their scouting staff is going to look like. Um, those are the questions that have yet to be answered, I guess. 
And uh, so another team that actually did not finish in our bottom five this year, though they arguably deserve to, um, is the Cleveland Browns. So they ended up, I believe, at 25 for us. Um, They obviously had a lot of hype. We've talked about that. Incredibly disappointing season. They, too, have moved on from their head coach. They fired Freddie Kitchens. And uh, they also, on Tuesday afternoon, it was announced that they parted ways with their GM, John Dorsey, as well. They've, you know, reportedly got interviews with a ton of head coaching candidates scheduled. Uh, Moving on from Dorsey kind of gives them a clean slate as they hire yet another new coach. Uh, And it's just funny how a season can change so much. You know, last year we talked about the Browns gig as one of the most appealing coaching gigs in the league with all the talent that they had gotten um, and uh, all the potential that we thought that Baker was going to have in the second season and Odell. And uh, now I'm not sure anyone really wants to go near it. So we'll see how that. Yeah, it's uh, so interesting, right? I mean, because they have the talent is still there. I mean, you look at the roster and, you know, defensively, there were times this year that they played really well. You know, I think there's. You know, yes, Baker Mayfield did not live up to his expectations this year, but there's he's obviously very, very talented. You know, you still have some really good wide receivers. You've got two really good running backs, um, you know, some offensive line issues that you're going to need to fix. But, you know, th- this is still a good roster. It's just a place where why would you want to go there when, you know, ownership doesn't invest time into into building things? That's not to say that I that I think that they should have necessarily retained Freddie Kitchens. I think he was the wrong guy for that job at the wrong time. And um, I hope that he can kind of get his career back on track as an assistant coach and, you know, maybe get another head coaching shot down the line, but, but man, it's just, it's just wild. And it's really interesting to see that they've kind of blown up their front office again in firing John Dorsey. Although they, they, they termed it mutually agreed to part ways, which, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a semantics, I guess, but they still have Paul Podesta there and, Moving on from Dorsey, I think there was a power struggle going on there. And now we'll see if Paul DePodesta is really going to be the one who's running uh, that front office now, that he's the one who's going to get to hire the head coach. Or are they going to bring in a head coach who's going to have final say on the 53-man roster and give somebody kind of Bill Belichick-like powers? That's, That's going to be really interesting to watch because the last few years it's been the reverse where... The GM has had all the say and, you know, John, John Dorsey really reshaped that roster, made some big moves, some controversial moves, um, some that have worked out, some that haven't. And, uh, but, but, but wow, you know, I just feel bad for those Browns beat writers who once again, covering a head coaching search, um, Mary Kay Cabot from cleveland.com, who's been covering the team since, um, the nineties hashtag the other day, hashtag get mommy a beer. And I was like, yeah, I think we should Venmo <laughs> Mary Kay some, some beer money. Cause man, it's, it's rough times. Um, in Cleveland. All right. So, Lindsay, take us into happier times in, yeah. and for many other teams and uh, take us through our top five as we end the 2019 season. Yeah. So let's get in our top five. It doesn't really look a ton different than it has in recent weeks. I think there's one notable team who is missing. Um, the New England Patriots are not in our top five. But who is in our top five at number five is the Green Bay Packers. They started their preseason at our preseason rankings at number 15. So they were actually one of our biggest climbers and their highest ranking of the year was at number four. At number four today, we have the New Orleans Saints. 
their their preseason ranking was at number four, and they did climb all the way up to number one for a couple weeks earlier this season. At number three, we have the San Francisco 49ers, who won the NFC West and claimed the number one seed in the NFC playoffs on Sunday night. Um, They started the preseason at number 19 in our rankings, and their highest ranking was number one. Um, At number two, we have the Kansas City Chiefs, preseason ranking number two, and their highest ranking number two. Uh, So they are kind of number two all around. And number one, ending the season, no surprise here, it's the Baltimore Ravens. Their preseason ranking was number 13, and obviously their highest ranking is here at number one. But once again, they were not a unanimous number one for the second week in a row. We've had a couple voters who... um, decided to that somebody else should be number one. Um, so there was a little bit of disagreement there. There was also a little bit of a disagreement among our panel about where we should rank the 49ers and the Saints. Um, there were some voters who had the Niners at two, some had them at three, some had them at four. I actually had them at number four below the Saints. My top five looked like number one, Baltimore, two Chiefs, three Saints, four Niners, five Seahawks. Um, instead of Packers. Amy, what did your top five look like? Yeah, so I was actually one of those people who um, did not have the Ravens at number one for the first time in a while. I had the Chiefs at number one. And the reason for this was just because I really think that that swing of momentum, first of all, I think that they've been the team that's been surging the most over the kind of last few games, they're really clicking at the right time. And we talked about this extensively last week that we still haven't necessarily seen the best of their offense, but I trust, you know, Andy Reid's ability to uh, kind of get that going in the postseason. And I do think that we will see that. And the fact that they have a buy now is huge. That is a huge swing for them. The fact that they're now off, the Patriots have to play. Um, and they don't. I really think that the fact that they secured that number two seed to me makes them the most dangerous seed now because I'm um, the, the most dangerous team now, I should say, because, yeah, I really have seen the most momentum, the most upward momentum from from them recently. So I'm all in on the Chiefs. You know, who knows? Maybe I'll be proven very wrong uh, to put them above the Ravens. But and, and I really could have flipped a coin for this entire top five. It, it, they're all these teams are pretty talented. So I had the Chiefs at one, two Ravens, three 49ers, four Saints, five Packers. Um, 49ers and Saints was another one where a few people disagreed. Some had the Saints above the 49ers, some had the 49ers above the Saints. I just thought that you, in terms of, again, the impact of that number one seed uh, is very, very important to the 49ers Super Bowl chances. And the Saints now have, they kind of got unlucky in the fact that that very important play that we're going to get to in the 49ers Seahawks game, uh, multiple very important plays in that wild ending did end up actually costing the Saints uh, a first round bye because if the Seahawks had won, the Saints would have been the two seed and now they're the three seed and they have to play three games. Uh, So, you know, it's going to be a little bit tougher for them than the 49ers and also the 49ers beat them this season. So that's why I gave the slight edge to the Niners and then the Packers who... I, I don't think any of us are necessarily that convinced about, and yet here they are with the number two seed in the NFC. So they must be doing something right. Yeah. Let's see how, it, how it's going. Uh, it's stunning. It was like all season we didn't consider the possibility that the Packers – I mean, I think we all considered that the Packers would win the NFC North. But it was like it never occurred to any of us, not just you and me or our athletic staff. I think like the collective NFL media and fandom that the Packers could actually get a buy like after week 16 when i was going through all the different playoff scenarios it was like wait wait what 
really? And, you know, I think they've been the most like, or the least talked about 13 win team that I can remember. Um, and it's just wild that they uh, did get a first round by and that they're going to force potentially the saints to have to go to Lambeau field. I mean, that's such a massive swing, but you know, in my, in my top five, I had the saints ahead of both the Niners and the Seahawks and the Packers. I just think because of how they're playing right now. And while it's a really bad break for them, that they're going to have to go on the road, assuming that they beat the Vikings. Vikings um, at home in the wild card round. Um, I still think that they're a better team than the Packers are. You know, I think that the Packers have, uh, when they play well, you know, they play in these stretches where they look really, really good. And you always have to keep in the back of your mind that Aaron Rodgers could go off script and do something ridiculous and make a couple, you know, crazy 15 to 30 to 50 yard passes in any game. But the way that they almost lost to the Lions on Sunday made me think like, really, you know, I, I they, they do not look ready for the playoffs. And that's, um, you know, maybe they'll use that bye week to kind of get their stuff together and um, figure it out. Um, and that's why I had the Seahawks um, in my top five instead of the Packers. So, um yeah, I was at that San Francisco <laughs> Seattle game, which it was so wild and it really impacted everything that was going on in those seedings. And, you know, I would love to see one of those, the charts, you know, of like probabilities, like the, the probability yeah, the that the Niners get the one seed. Win probability. Yeah. Yeah. Because. You know, it was probably very, very high in the second quarter, and then it started dipping into the third quarter, and then the fourth quarter it dipped even lower, and it was probably almost at zero there with 30 seconds left in the game. And, you know, I've, you know, I'm lucky to have covered a lot of crazy crazy games in the 12 years that I've been covering the NFL. I mean, I was at the Minnesota Miracle a few years ago, you know, I was at some of these wild Super Bowls with the, you know, the Malcolm Butler interception and the um, the uh, Seahawks, uh, no, sorry, uh, the Patriots comeback against the Falcons. And um, this was one of the weirdest endings I've ever seen. And I went back and watched it on television on Monday night. And I don't think on TV, it relayed just how weird it was because they kind of were really focusing on the replay angle. Like the, the television coverage was showing just, they were just showing the, the tackle over and over and over and trying to analyze like, where's his shoulder? Where's his elbow? Where's the ball? But what was so insane was inside the stadium was, so the Niners had almost all come off the bench, um, after, after the tackle, because the ball kind of came out, Jimmy Ward picked it up, actually ran all the way to the other end zone. So the coaches were on the field, the Niners players were on the field, the Niners players were all celebrating. Meanwhile, they're showing the replay over and over and over again on the giant video boards inside CenturyLink Field. And all of the Seahawks players have also come out onto the field and they're watching it. All the Seahawks players are raising their arms saying, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And all the Niners players are like, you know, throwing helmets and celebrating and going crazy. So there's like literally like 75 players on the field at the same time, almost all believing that they had won the game. I thought it was like one of those, like, I don't know, what's that, the Rosarch test where yeah. you, you see what you want to see out of it. Yeah. Um, and everybody in the stands, you know, it was a very pro Seahawks crowd, obviously in Seattle. And it was like quiet, but was like, was the game over or not over? And given that the high stakes with the seedings, it was so, so bizarre. And I think they got it right on that final play. Um, it was a beautiful tackle from Dre Greenlaw. Uh, Jacob Hollister did not break the plane. Um, 
you know, you can argue about the a play before that when um, if there was there pass interference or not. Um, I think it was clear that they should have at least reviewed it to be if there was pass interference, but it was one of the most bizarre endings to a game. Um, and, you know, it was that whole sequence. It wasn't just the the final play, that fourth down play. It was they had a first and goal at the one, spiked yeah. it. The the delay of game the, the is one of the of biggest brain farts. Was one of the weirdest things I, I had seen because I it was what like nobody really was realizing it. And I just happened to notice that it was it was ticking down. It was like four, three, two. And I said out loud, I was like, what's going on with the clock? And I didn't even think like, oh, it's a delay. Like, I thought it was a mistake on the screen or something. I was just I was like, yeah. what's going on right now? Because nobody looked remotely ready to snap it. So I was just like, what? Is there an issue with the clock? What's going on? And then suddenly they just took this massive delay of game penalty at the worst moment. It was one of the most bizarre moments that they could have not realized that that, that, that was happening at that moment. Yeah, it was it was a massive brain fart for, you know, a very otherwise experienced team, you know, coaching staff, quarterback. You know, the big issue was that they didn't have the right running backs in the game. And yes, they did just sign Marshawn Lynch um, and Marshawn Lynch was coming in. And then after they took the delay, delay a game, they had to take Marshawn Lynch back out and um, Homer came back in. But Moving from the the one yard line to the six yard line was massive. It changed the defense that the Niners lined up in. Um, they were all kind of confused. They didn't know what was happening. About you know they had their goal line defense in, and all of a sudden you had to they just to sub in to get some you know a, a different pass defense or pass coverage in, and it was just insane. And you know what the Niners kept going back to in their locker room after the game was that they lost to the Falcons um, a couple weeks ago by inches when Julio Jones caught that ball at the goal line, stretched over the goal line. Um, they lost that game. If they'd won that game, you know, if Drake Greenlaw had made a tackle on that, on that play, like he did um, against Jacob Hollister, they wouldn't have been in this situation needing to having to win this game to clinch the number one seed. They would have won it previously, but you know, it's just, it just is a reminder of how small these margins are. And it was literally inches, like literally you know, six inches either way in both of those games. And um, now they have the number one seed. And, you know, I wrote Sunday night from Seattle um, about kind of the entire NFC playoff field and how they all have flaws and they all have some sort of um, issue that's going on. And I talked to John Lynch in the locker room and, you know, he was, you know, he's, He's won a Super Bowl. He's been through this stuff. He knows how important it is to be able to get a bye week, to be able to have rest your guys. And he also said, but look, it's we're not infallible. You know, we have issues just like everybody else uh, in the playoffs does right now. And, you know, I think oddly it's the Niners defense that has issues right now. And for so much of the year, they really relied on their defense while their offense was kind of still coming together and figuring all their timing and changing some wide receivers with the addition of Emmanuel Sanders and that sort of stuff. And um, the biggest issue that I see is in their secondary and it's at that cornerback spot opposite of Richard Sherman. They benched um, Akello Witherspoon in late in the fourth quarter of that game. He was just getting torched. I mean, the Russell Wilson picked on him so much that he had to get out of the game and his replacement, Emmanuel Mosley, wasn't much better, although he did have one key pass breakup in the end zone. Um, and then the other big issue is that they're, they, they rely so much on their pass rush and it disappeared in the second half. And, you know, I think you have to give Russell Wilson a 
lot of credit for that and that he, you know, is very, very good at avoiding a pass rush. But they just they they were almost a non-factor for the third and early into the fourth quarter of that game. And the Niners, those guys cannot disappear in the playoffs. They need Nick Bosa to dominate. I mean, Nick Bosa was the best player in that game and they need him to do that play in and play out. They need D Ford back. And it looks like he's going to be back for the playoffs. So, you know, I think they're in a good spot right now. The fact that they're not going to have to go to New Orleans and they're not going to have to go to Green Bay is huge. Um, we could get part three of Seahawks Niners again in the divisional round, depending on what happens in the wild card round. Um, but yeah, it's, the NFC playoffs are going to be really, really fun. Um, I'm going to be at the Saints-Vikings game this weekend. Really excited for that. Nothing weird certainly will happen um, in a Vikings-Saints playoff game. And uh, I'm sure officiating won't be an issue because it never is in New Orleans, right? I actually think that's going to be a good, a, a pretty good game. I have some high hopes for it. I feel like some think that – I think the Saints are favored by like over a t- – I think they're favored by eight or something. But I, I think that game might be close. I have some high hopes for it. So we will see what happens. Obviously, things tend to get pretty wacky when the Saints are involved in the playoffs. So we uh, – I'm excited to, uh, to hear about how it is in person, Lindsay. All right. So the – these are our final rankings of the regular season. So we thought it would be the perfect time to go back and compare them to what we were thinking back in July when we did our first preseason rankings. Also a great way to laugh at ourselves for what we got very, very wrong. Um, a few teams really exceeded our expectations and a few definitely did not. Risers and falls. So let's get into our biggest risers um, of 2019. A couple of these teams um, we've already mentioned before because they've ended up in our top or our bottom five, but there were two teams each who climbed 12 spots. Um, one is the Baltimore Ravens, who I already talked about, who started at 13, rose all the way up to number one. Um, but the other is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who they climbed from 28 in our preseason rankings um, all the way up to number up to number 16. Um, after Jameis Winston's um, history-making 30-30 season where he threw um, more than 30 touchdowns and he also threw 30 interceptions. Um, And interception number 30 was, of course, a pick six. So now it'll be interesting to see if he gets paid $30 million in 2020. Um, our, Our next highest riser was the Buffalo Bills, who jumped 14 spots. They went up from number 25 up to number nine, where they've held steady for the last few weeks. And our biggest riser is the team that we were just talking about. It's the San Francisco 49ers. They climbed 16 spots from number 19 in late July up to number three. And we also, we've mentioned this before, but we have to mention it again right now, is that the Niners were also our biggest risers heading into those preseason rankings. Um, They finished at number 30 in our final rankings of 2018. And I'm really, really curious to see where San Francisco is going to end up when we do our final, final rankings um, of the 2019 season after the Super Bowl. And now uh, to focus on our biggest fallers, the biggest disappointments. So dropping 14 spots from number six to number 20 is the Indianapolis Colts. And of course, we do have to remember that our preseason rankings were done when we all assumed Andrew Luck would be the Colts quarterback. And of course, he was not. He retired. But I will say the Colts did get as high as number seven in our in the middle of the season. I think week six and seven, they were ranked at number seven. So even within the season, they did tumble quite a bit. Um, They really fell apart toward that that second half of the season. Um, Again, a team that, of course, we have already mentioned in their horrible disappointment of a season, the Browns. 
They dropped 15 spots. We had them at number 10 in the preseason. They finished at number 25. Of course, they never lived up to their hype. And the biggest faller is the Los Angeles Chargers, who remember were you know in the playoffs last year. They played in the divisional round against New England. Just last season, I think a lot of people had high hopes for them to challenge the Chiefs in the West this year. Didn't happen. They went from number seven in the rankings back in late July uh, to number 26 this week. 26. That's a 19 spot fall. And it really just shows how truly disappointing the Chargers season really was. I think we all had high hopes and uh, it was a bit of a train wreck. Yeah. And now just who knows what's going to happen with them next. I mean, they're moving into that new stadium. I mean, nobody's going to miss that soccer stadium that they played in, but oh, it's just hard to feel good about the Chargers, like moving forward, who knows what's going to happen? Phillip Rivers, are they going to have fans show up in this new, you know, 70,000 seat stadium when they couldn't fill or their 30,000 seat stadium, but um, it's that it's such a huge disappointment. And as we're looking back through this, you know, I'm remembering we did these these rankings, I think, right as training camp was starting at the very end of July, and I was embarking on my um, my training camp tour where I went and visited a whole bunch of teams. And, you know, I tried to pick it on teams that I either thought were going to be really interesting, had new coaches, um, and then teams that I thought were going to be really good. And I picked poorly. Um, of all of the teams I visited in the preseason, which I think I saw nine or 10 teams, I'm thinking, um, only one made the playoffs and that's the Niners. So, you know, the Raiders didn't make it. The Browns didn't make it. The Steelers didn't make it. The Chargers didn't make it. The Rams didn't make it. Um, so yeah, so there we, and the Broncos certainly where I live here in Denver didn't make it. So my preseason, preseason predictions were, um, (laughs) not on target at all, but, um, that's, you know, it, it is a fun exercise and I don't think we're alone here. You know, I think lots of people do power rankings and I think there are probably a lot of people who were, you know, um, a little off and that's just what makes the, the NFL so fun is that, you know, while you can expect that the Patriots are going to be there every year and that the Seahawks recently and um, but you know there's just a lot of teams that are going to come and surprise us uh, year after year all right so let's finish up here for last uh, episode of the year and the season with power up and power down power up power down the Lindsay are you going to end the year on a positive note or a negative note? Are you powering up or down? I think I, th- I think we all know where this is headed. <laughs> oh my god! So <laughs> keeping uh, on trend uh, through all of 2019. So keeping- <laughs> Hey, look, I got to stay on brand here and I'm going to power down one more time to um, officiating and specifically to the pass interference challenge rule, which has been the bane of my existence and the NFL's existence in 2019. Um, because, you know, they went, they changed this rule in 2019 to be able to make it so coaches could challenge or Al Riveron and his staff in New York, the VP of officiating, could review cases of pass interference um, so that so the games would be decided in the correct way. And so they would they would get these calls right. And they did not institute a booth review at the end of the, the Seahawks Niners game uh, when there was um, a collision with Jacob Hollister, the, the tight end from the Seahawks, who believed that he got interfered with. My initial when I when I saw it live and then the very first time that I saw the replay in the press box in Seattle, um, I thought that Hollister actually initiated the contact and that was what I actually told the guy who was sitting next to me from the Oregonian. I said, no, he. I think he started it. And I think that's what Al Riveron also saw 
saw initially, but they should have stopped the game in that scenario. There was enough contact both ways. And when you re- when you showed the replay over and over, you could really say that he was actually interfered with. And did it meet the whatever this line is egregious or not? Um I, I don't know. And that's for Al Riveron to decide, but he should have stopped the game to actually look at and decide. And that was the situation where they have to make sure that they're getting the calls right in the game's biggest moments and the biggest games of the year. And this was actually that. This wasn't, you know, at the end of a second quarter in week 13 in Cleveland. This was the game to determine all of the NFC seedings. And they needed to have at least taken a bigger look at that and had a better explanation than the one that they gave. So powering down one more time, I hope that this doesn't become an issue in the po- in the playoffs. I'm sure it's going to be because it has been time and time again this year. Um, but I just, I'm powering down one more time for 2019 <laughs> to Al Riveron, the competition committee who put in this rule, the owners who voted for it. And I just hope we never have to speak of it again in 2020. <laughs> One more time with feeling. We're powering down to the refs. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to end on a positive note. I'm going to power up. Because um, you are the sunshine on this podcast. <laughs> I changed my. I actually changed my mind on what I was going to power up at the last second here. I'm powering up to Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins. Shout out to them. This season started off to be as bad as everybody kind of expected with them. They had to deal with the everybody yelling that they were tanking the whole season. They finished 5-11, and 11, which isn't even that bad by the standards of what their roster looked like, what they were, the kind of team that they are, how they really are rebuilding and trying to build for the future. You know, the, and then the game that they played on the last week of the season against the Patriots, who are supposed to be this team that always turns it on when it matters, and with the, with the bye on the line for the Patriots... For the Dolphins to go out there and beat them was so fun to watch because the like, good for them. I'm just really happy for the Dolphins. I'm really happy for Ryan Flores. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick's always super fun to watch. The guys obviously love rallying around him. And they just became this weirdly kind of entertaining team to watch, despite the fact that everybody thought they were going to be the worst team in existence. We had a, we had a piece at the beginning of the year asking if they were going to be the worst team in NFL history and comparing them to the Bucks from the 70s who had finished as the worst team because it was realistic to question that in in weeks one and two when they were get, losing 56 to nothing to multiple teams. You know, it made sense to, to think about their place in history and just how bad they would really be. So to see them go from that to knocking the Patriots out of a bye week for the first time in a decade with a huge win was just really cool and fun. And I'm just really happy for Brian Flores. I think that there could be a future there once they get the right players there, if they draft correctly, and if they continue to kind of move forward on this slight momentum. I know obviously this game doesn't really matter to them next season, but it's something to think about and think about how they were able to pull it off. And hopefully, you know, Brian Flores, that it's working a little bit there. Guys like playing for him. He keeps his players motivated enough through Week 17 and, you know, who knows what can happen in the future. So I was just really happy to, to see that happen for the Dolphins. I thought it was I thought it was really fun to see kind of their the way that they had made that change and that shift from the beginning of the season being so dreadful and awful to seeing them knock off the Patriots in week 17. And yeah, I'm going to add an extra shout out to Ryan Fitzpatrick, yeah, who is the oldest player in NFL history to lead his team in rushing for the season. That's <laughs> oh my one, God. It's like my favorite stat of the weekend or one of my favorite stats of the weekend. But I mean, he, he led the 
the Dolphins in rushing with like 250 yards, which says a lot about the Dolphins. And they got five um, wins but, somehow, with that being true. <laughs> How did that happen? Which is, it's just incredible. Um, I mean, this was their biggest win. But yeah, I mean, they, they beat the Jets. They beat the Bengals. Uh, you know, they won, they won enough games that they needed to. And what's wild is that they still, you know, if the whole plan was always to tank for Tua, they can probably still get yeah. Tua. Yeah, and true. Because look, the Bengals are going to take Joe Burrow, and then the other teams that are ahead of them, the the Redskins aren't going to be drafting a quarterback at number two. The Lions probably aren't going to be drafting a quarterback at number three, and the Giants certainly aren't going to be drafting one at number four. And you keep Ryan Fitzpatrick, let him be the veteran mentor, let Tua, um, let his hip injury take all the time it needs to fully heal, and you can still get your guy at number five. So... um, what, what it a year all for worked the Dolphins. Out. Good job, guys. Yeah, it all it all worked out, and um, you know, I I think God, I mean, was everybody in the country outside of New England a Dolphins fan on yeah, Sunday afternoon? I think so. Just yes, I, it was it was pretty awesome. So I'm yeah. glad we we're able to end our our final podcast of 2019 on a positive note. Thank you, Amy, for lifting <laughs> us up when I try to tear us down. Um, but we will be back after the new year for a bonus episode heading into Wild Card Weekend, um, and we can't wait to see what's going to happen in the postseason. It's going to be really really fun. So thank you guys so much for listening. Happy New Year, and we will see you uh, later in the week for some wildcard talk. Happy New Year, everybody. 